You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Thank you. Take your seats, and while you're doing that, get your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as we're going to take a look at a message entitled, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. I'm always amazed how God determined and decided that he was going to use us as a significant piece in the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, as imperfect as we are, as much as we struggle, God still desires to use us, and he does it. And we're all called to be involved in service. Um, The Great Commission is a challenge to us to serve us. Go and make disciples. And so everyone in the room has a responsibility for us to be doing more than just sitting on the bench, more than just being a consumer, more than just being a bystander. We're called by God to serve. Sue's dad had kind of as his life motto, saved for service. Saved for service. It's not the only thing we're saved for. A chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So our lives are designed to be pushing towards the glory of God, not that God needs us for him to be glorified. He is as glorified as he will ever be, but that's what we're called to. But then another part of this is we're called to serve. We're called to be engaged in what God is doing. We're called his ambassadors, his representatives, and uh, we're called to work and to serve. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's how you get saved. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are created to serve. We are created to work. You know, the old adage is that um, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Um, I don't believe that's true in our church, but, um, but that's the tendency. You have this core of committed people who are engaged and who are serving and are doing a lion's share of the work. And, and you have a group of people who are consumers, who are sitting on the bench, who for a number of reasons aren't engaged in serving. And this message today is to challenge you, challenge you to get beyond your comfort level and get to a place of serving for the sake and the glory of God. We find our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word, and I'm going to start at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standard. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. What an amazing passage. There are so many truths. And Father, as we uh, glean across it today, we pray that you would stir in our hearts as we consider the message and the messenger and the majestic. Lord, would you guide our time? Would you do a work in our hearts? Would we not be thinking about how the person beside us might need this message, but be thinking, God, about how I need this message? Lord, I pray that you would do a work as we listen. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand. But then, Lord, as a result of being here today, uh, lives to live out differently because we've listened to you in your word. Would your spirit work in this place for the glory of our Savior? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, we want to dive right in. And the first thing we want to take a look at out of this text is the message that we proclaim. Look at verse 22. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek for wisdom. The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek for wisdom. As the Jews were looking for a Messiah, they were looking for one who was going to come and, and give great signs and all kinds of miracles and all kinds of powerful working. They were looking for the Jesus who was riding into Jerusalem and people were going, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna, and they were worshiping him. That's what they were looking for. That's the king they wanted. That's the Messiah they wanted. They were demanding of signs. They were not looking for the message of the cross. And when the message of the cross came, they denied it and they rejected it. It says the Jews demand signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom. Uh, they were looking for um, the academic. They were looking for the philosophical. They were looking uh, for the, uh, the, um, the challenging thinking. And when the cross came, they too, they denied it. They didn't value the wisdom expressed in the message of the cross. So in verse 22, for the Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom is set up against the next verse, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. Now in our culture, we hear that and we think, yeah, that's great. We preach Christ crucified. That's what he did. And it's true. That's not wrong. But that's not how they were perceiving what was being said as Paul is saying it. When they heard that, they heard him say, we preach Christ, Christ the anointed one, Christ the king, Christ the savior, crucified, a pitiful death. It didn't make sense to them. Those two things that didn't come together for them. It was the ultimate oxymoron that you would have Christ that meant power and splendor and triumph would be crucified, which meant weakness and defeat and humiliation. If the cross doesn't seem strange to you, then you either don't understand how the cross was seen in Jesus' day or you don't understand who Jesus is. We have to understand the tension that comes in, we preach Christ crucified. 
Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so Jesus Christ had to come. He had to come as the Messiah. He had to come to die. The great Roman statesman Cicero said this, the cross, it speaks of, of that which is so shameful, so horrible. It should never be mentioned in polite society. If we were witnesses to the trial of Jesus when the crowd was shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. If we had our wits about us, we should have shouted back, don't crucify him. If you must execute this man, do it honorably. Let him die the death of a dignified man, but don't expose him to the horror and humiliation of hanging on a cross. But God wanted Christ crucified. And if we don't embrace the cross, even in the strange picture of Christ crucified, we are lost people. The Jews wanted signs. The Greeks wanted wisdom. But we are called to preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. It was an offense. It was a scandal. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. But God wasn't reporting to polling data. He wasn't looking for what people wanted. God was responding to what we needed and we didn't need more signs and wonders. And we didn't need more wisdom and academia. What we needed was a savior. What we needed was salvation. And the salvation would come through Jesus Christ crucified. And that's our message. That's the message of our church. It's interesting as you read it. You, I really wanted to go and we preach Christ. And stop there. But that's not the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter is we preach Christ crucified. We don't stop with a weak Jesus. We don't stop with a, a little Jesus meek and mild. We stop with Jesus crucified because without the crucifixion, without the shedding of blood, there is no hope for us. And so the message of our church is we preach the whole story of Christ. We preach Christ crucified. This message that we have is not a popular message not popular in our society today. People don't want to hear about Christ crucified. And so what we're called to teach, what we're called to bring to our world is not a popular message. The message we bring is counterintuitive to people. Uh, people are like, I just want to try harder. That's the way you get ahead in society. That's the way you get your problem solved. You work harder, you try more. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something you try for. It's not something you work for. It's something that was prepared for you and given to you. The work of the cross, the message we have is simple. It's a simple message. It's not revolved. It doesn't come around a whole bunch of hard things to do. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. The message is so simple and yet so easily rejected by the masses Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. It's simple. The message that we have has as its core a spiritual battle. A Satan is speaking into some of your own minds today. You're here and you've never trusted Christ. You don't believe that stuff. Don't believe who Jesus was. Don't believe what they said. Don't believe. There's a spiritual battle that goes on in this message. 
And it's a spiritual battle that when you trust Jesus Christ, you've won the spiritual battle of your salvation because you understand what God has done. You understand that Christ came, Christ was crucified, Christ was buried, Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ stands on the, sits on the right hand of God right now, making intercession for you. It's a spiritual battle. But it's our only hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And so this message that we have, this thing that we're called to do, the, to be servants of the Lord, it's our only hope. It's the hope we have, and it's the only hope for our world. So as you consider the message of the cross, back to verse 18, for the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing. Now, those who reject the message of Jesus Christ is folly to them. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God for your salvation. That message, that hope, Jesus Christ crucified. So God chose to save man through faith in a message, in a way that seems to us to be so counterintuitive, so foolish, so many other things, but it's the simplicity of the working of God so that you and I could have eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. In verse 21 it says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And so Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the message. I'm not ashamed to preach Jesus Christ crucified. For it is the power of God for salvation. You don't get saved in any other way except through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, to the one who is looking for the signs. Uh, and to the Greek, the one who is looking for the philosophy and for the academia, the answer to man's need is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question today for you in this room is, have you trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Are you out there on the plan, I'm going to try harder, I hope it works out well for me? Or have you come to the place, I've trusted Christ alone for my salvation? We've seen God working in our church in this in the last number of weeks. In the last number of weeks, we've had five people who've trusted Christ as their Savior. About three weeks ago after a service, a person came and they trusted Christ. Uh, two weeks ago, a man came and he trusted Christ. Um, on Friday night at the women's ministry, one of the ladies brought a friend who put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Last night after the service, two men trusted Christ as their Savior. That's the message we have. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope that we have is in Christ. And if you've never trusted Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what he did for you. Believe that's the answer. When you stand before God, it's not going to be about how good I am or what I've tried to do. It's going to be about what he did and what he accomplished. Jesus Christ crucified. He paid the price I couldn't pay. I owed a debt. I couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus Christ did it for me. And all I can do to receive the gift is just believe it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You'll be saved. We preach Christ crucified. It's the hope of our salvation. We preach Christ crucified. It's the assurance in our sanctification. 
Every day I get up and I'm not what I should be. I talked to a guy after the first service, he's just wrestling with the, but I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I should be. And I'm, none of us are what we should be, but we're not what we used to be either. And neither is he. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I will be. I'm not even what I should be. But the insurance I have, the hope I have is based on the work of Jesus Christ. And so I have this hope of salvation, the assurance in my growing up, in my sanctification. And then they have the promise of glorification. Because of the work of Christ, one day I'll stand before God. He will welcome me into his kingdom and I will spend eternity with him. That's our message. That's the only hope for our world. Well, the next thing we want to take a look at then is the messenger that God uses. We have this message, but who is the messenger that God uses? In verses 26 to 28, we're kind of described there. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. It amazes me, I said this before, but it amazes me that God chooses to use us for the glory of his kingdom. Those people who trusted Christ in the last few years, I didn't pray with any of them to trust Christ. People in our church prayed with all of them, and I'm sure there are other stories we don't know about. God chooses to use us as the messengers this, but none of us are, I've put them into P words so we'd remember them. None of them says wise or perceptive. None of us are perceptive according to worldly standards. We're regular Joes. Everybody in the room is a regular Joe. You might have an area of expertise in something, but when it comes right down to it, you're just a regular Joe. You put your shoes on one at a time, and you have to learn to do them up like everybody else. We're regular Joes. Not many are wise. Not many are mighty. We don't have a lot of money in the bank. We don't have a lot of wealth. We don't have a lot of riches. There are people who are more powerful and more influential than we are. And not many of you are of noble birth. That speaks to me of position. You weren't born into royalty. You're not the son of a king or the son of a prince. Or We're just regular Joes. And yet God decides to use us. God decides to use us. Verse 29 says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And God uses regular people who will not boast about themselves, but will glory in the work of God. So why are we here? I don't mean at church. I mean, like on this earth as a follower of Jesus Christ. Why are we here? I think there's two major reasons we're here. One is to glorify God. Um, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Everything that we do best we can growing up in Christ is to glorify God. Uh, we talk about that a lot in our church. And the second thing we're here to do is to serve. We're here to serve God. Go and make disciples. Um, Titus was told, go and put um, elders in all of the churches, all over the place in Scripture. There are commands for us things to do. We're, we're called to be people who serve. We talk about this in the context of our church in the three W's. We worship Christ, we walk with Christ, and we work for Christ. And worship Christ is more than just coming to church on the weekend, but it's making this a priority. We come together as disciples of Christ to worship together. And then we walk with Christ. That's our daily routine, our daily walking with Christ and the Word and all the rest. But we talk about that in our church in the context of being in a small group. But then in work for Christ. 
And lots of people do the first two, but they kind of fall off the wagon when it comes to the third one. Worship, walk, and work for Christ. And the amazing thing again for me is that God uses ordinary people to do it. We so often feel that God cannot use me. I hear people say that all the time. God, God can't use me. Well, why not? Because I'm broken. I'm broken. And, and uh, how could God use me? I, I just need to sit on the side. I can't be used by the Lord. I'm broken. Made me think of the uh, children's rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Kind of a crazy little story. Had political overtones when it was written. Um, when you're broken like that, you can't be put back together. The king's horses couldn't, the king's men, no, nope, couldn't be done. Except in Jesus Christ, it is done. And the brokenness is taken care of and the healing is done and God's working in your life and, and God makes you whole again. And God desires that his children would serve and be involved and, and be engaged and you know, we go through scripture and we see all kinds of ordinary people that, that God uses. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have what we call the hall of faith or the hall of fame of, of believers. And Hebrews chapter 11 starts out by saying, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. And then Hebrews 11 goes on and it starts to list off a people of God who are people of faith. They were regular, ordinary Joes. In chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel. In verse 5, by faith, Enoch. In verse 7, by faith, Noah. In verse 8, by faith, Abraham. In 11, by faith, Sarah. In 20, by faith, Isaac. And 21, by faith, Jacob. In verse 23, by faith, Moses. In verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. And then it says, and there's a whole list of other people who by faith, but they were regular people. Uh, Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, he, he chooses the 12. One of them deserts him, turns on him. Uh, Judas, but the others, you have a tax collector, you have a fisherman, you have very young men, some of them still working for their father. You have people who are filled with pride. Who can sit on your right hand? Who can sit on your left hand? And these are the people that God uses. Think about some of them. Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses couldn't speak well. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young, he said. David was an adulterer, not to mention a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job lost everything. And John the Baptist ate bugs. That's just weird to me. Andrew lived in the shadow of his big brother. Peter denied Christ. All of the disciples fell asleep while praying and ran away when Jesus really needed them. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a Christian killer. And yet God used every one of them. And God can use you. And God can use you. 
So why do we feel that we can't be used by God? Why do we feel that somehow we're on the shelf? Why do we feel that we're not capable or we're not able? Here's, here's a few reasons. One of those reasons is because you have sin in your life. You have unconfessed sin. Sin that you haven't dealt with, aren't willing to deal with, you're enjoying just too much. And when it comes to serving, you're like, yeah, there's no way. That would be hypocritical for me to ever try and do that. And so the reason you don't serve is because there's sin that you're not dealing with. Uh, we just came back from vacation and uh, we had a great time and we were on the ocean and our, our grandson, um, Daniel, was um, on the beach one day. And it was, it was a great picture of how we try and deal with sin in our lives. And so he was on the part, the waves are kind of coming up behind him and he's trying to dig this hole. He's trying to get this hole. He's trying to build something. And yet every once in a while, a wave would come back up and just come around him and just fill it back in. And there he is trying to dig and trying to dig and trying to dig and the water just keeps coming and filling it in and filling it in and filling it in. And, and my son goes, preacher boy, my son goes, um, that's a great illustration of how we try and deal with our sin. And we try and fix it. We, try, we just try and keep on digging even though it's not going to get solved the way we're trying to solve it. And the reason people don't serve is because there's sin in their life and they're not willing to deal with it. They're not willing to confess their sin and they're not willing to turn from their sin. They're not willing to repent and go in a new way. They're not willing to hate their sin. Why? Because they love their sin more than they love the one who they should serve. And sin keeps us from serving. And if God puts something in your heart right now that's keeping you from serving him because you haven't yielded it, you haven't made it right, you need to do that right now in the middle of this message before the Lord. You get that right sin. Another reason people don't serve is circumstances. I live too far away. It doesn't fit my need. It's circumstances. Another reason we don't serve, people don't serve, is because of pride. A pride gets in the way. I want a job that's up here on the rungs and they're offering me something that's down here and... Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you when he's ready in his time. But pride gets in the way and we don't serve. Some don't serve because they say it's too hard. It's just too hard. I can't do it. You're right, you can't. You think I can do this every week? I can't do this. The Lord does this. It's too hard for me. But it's not too hard for God. And so don't, don't tell me it's too hard. Anything we do for the Lord is too much for us. But it's not too much in the Lord's hands. How about this one? I don't have time. I don't have time. I saw a thing on Facebook last night. It was talking about Black Friday. And it said, uh, you can get up at 4 a.m. on Black Friday to go and get a deal. But you can't get to church at 10 a.m. It speaks about our priorities. It speaks about what's important to us. I don't have time. We all have exactly the same amount of time. It's just that God's not your priority. We have time for everything else, but I don't have time to serve the Lord. Here's one that I have some sympathy for. I'm hurt. I'm hurt, and I need some time. You know, there are people who have come to our church, a number of them, and they've come out of a situation, whatever it might be, a family situation, a church situation, and it was just hard, and they were hurt. And what we told them was, you just come for a while. Don't worry about getting involved in anything. Just come and just be healed. Just come and sit under the word of God and, and be blessed. Get in a small group. Get accountable. Be growing in Christ. Don't worry about getting involved in all kinds of things. And I'm okay with that for a period of time. And then we need to get engaged. 
then we need to serve. But people come who are wounded and are hurt and maybe they need some time and we want to be gracious to that. Some people say, I can't serve because I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I remember when uh, Sue and I first got married. We were brilliant back then. We're not near as smart as we were when we first got married. We thought, we're going to have children when we can afford it. That was our great thought. You realize you never have children if you wait till you can afford it. And uh, the Lord helped us get through that. And God gave us two great kids. And now we have five great grandchildren. Not great grandchildren. Five grandchildren who are great. And uh, we're thankful for them. I'm getting old, but I'm not that old. And, uh, but uh, we're not ready. I'm not ready. I don't know enough yet. I, I don't know. Just step up. You allow God to work. The result of what happens in someone getting saved or someone growing up is not dependent on you. It's depending on the working of God who works through you. So stop saying, I'm not ready. Start with something. I'm not ready. Or how about this one? They don't need me. Church is growing. Look how big the church is. They don't need me. That's not true. That's a lie. When a church is growing, it always has needs. There's never enough workers. And when a church is declining, there always have needs. There'll never be enough work. It doesn't matter what church you're in. There are always needs. Now, fortunately, God's blessed us. And we're on this side of the equation, a growing church that God is working in. And there are needs. And don't ever believe that there aren't needs. There are needs in every ministry in our church. If you talk to Gala, she'll tell you in Harvest Kids, we have needs. We need workers. We need teachers. We need... There are needs. In Awana, there are needs. There's not one ministry in our church that'll tell you, no, we don't have any needs. The greeting team out here, the people who make coffee, there are needs. Uh, build things around the building and maintenance, there are needs. Uh, we need people who are tellers to count the money, there are needs. In production, the people who are up in the back, you never see them unless something goes wrong. They do an amazing job. They have needs. Um, along with production, you have the worship team, always looking for people that God has gifted. They're they have needs. In youth ministry, if you ask Jason, he'll tell you we have needs. If you ask the young adults, they'll tell you we have needs. Uh, Paul Stainton sitting right over here. He'll tell you they need more men to lead in men's ministry. Ruth is right here. She'll tell you we need more women to lead in women's ministry. We have small groups. We have needs. Throughout the whole church, there are needs. Started a new ministry called Compassion Ministries. There are needs. And the answer to those needs is found right in this room. The answer is right here. Where will you serve? And how will you serve? Will you serve the King of Kings? You know, in the story of Stephen in the book of Acts, in chapter 6, Stephen is called to serve. In chapter 7, he's put to death. There are three little principles that I found in that scripture that are really helpful to me. And in chapter 6, we see that he was determined to be ready. He had this determination to, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And it showed in some things that are said about him in Acts 6, 3 to 8. It says he was full of the spirit in verse 3. In verse 3, it also says he was full of wisdom. In verse 5, it says he was full of faith. And in the same verse, full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, it says he was full of grace. And he was full of God's power. The word full means he was fully covered over. Stephen was determined to be ready. The second thing we learn about him in chapter 7, verses 51 to 53, is he decided that he was going to be bold. He called the people a stiff-necked generation. He's about to be stoned to death. And he decides, I'm going to be bold for Jesus Christ. 
I don't know if any of us are going to be called to that in our lives. We're certainly not called to it today. But that's what he saw. That's what he desired in his life. I'm determined that I'm going to serve. I'm going to decide to be bold. And then he delighted that he could die well. And he lifts up his eyes and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. And he dies. And God used him with all the other ordinary Joes to change their world. In Acts 17, 6, it says, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned their world upside down, and they've come here also. Anybody saying that about you? Anybody saying that about our church? These people who are serving faithfully, they're changing their world. And now they're coming to our town. God desires that we would serve, and we would serve well. You were never just called to be saved. You were called to serve. And if you think you're on the bench because of sin in your life or something you've done, then you need to come and you need to confess if it needs to be confessed and we need to find where you can serve. But there isn't anybody who cannot serve. Peter, who denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times shortly after Christ's resurrection, he comes to Peter, he restores him, and then God uses him as one of these people to change the world. No one is on the bench and cannot be used to serve the Lord. God uses ordinary people. We're all part of a body. We're all needed. Every part is important. In 1 Corinthians 12, starting at 21, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and these parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow great honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The message, we preach Christ crucified. The messenger God uses is you. And it's me. But we must never forget that the majesty belongs to the Lord. The majesty belongs to the Lord. I think about what God's done in our church. And, and God help me that I would never become prideful. Because God did the work. God graciously for some reason took this guy and used him to be used to build a church. Not me alone. Me with the elders, me with core leaders, me with key people, me with people who love Jesus. And, and God did the work. And the majesty belongs to him. The honor belongs to him. The glory belongs to him. The focus on what we've done belongs to what God has done. He has given us wisdom and judgment and righteousness. But, but we do not boast so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered. You know the rest of the verse goes? But God gave the growth. But God gave the growth. 
you be faithful in what God's called you to and you allow him to give the growth. Now think about that verse in the context of our church. There are people who work in the nursery and with the littlest ones and all the rest. And they're never going to be there when that child trusts Christ. You're, you're dealing with two and three and four-year-olds. And, but when that kid turns 14 or 12 and puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you had a part in that. You were the one who watered. You were the one who fed. You were the one who... But God gives the increase. People trusted Christ in our church in the last three or four weeks, and God gave the increase. Nobody gets to it. I did that. I did that. We didn't do any. We were faithful. We might have presented the gospel, but the change that happens in someone's life is the change that God does, and so be careful that you don't boast. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Look what God is doing. Look what he has accomplished. See, that's how you serve. You serve out of a sense of, I want to bring glory to God because my boast is in the Lord. The person greeting you at the door, their heart behind what they should do to be the best greeter they can possibly be. But they do that because that's how you get people to come into the room and now they sit down and they hear the word. They have a peace. They're part of the watering. They're part of the feeding. They're part of the, every part is needed to fit together. And the majesty and the glory and all of it belongs to God. Well, so what? So what? I'm saved to serve. Sue's dad would say, I'm saved for service. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 17. You ready? When you serve. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death. To the other, a fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Ordinary people serving an extraordinary God to see God work, to see lives changed. Where are you serving? What are you involved in? My concern in preaching a message like this is that the wrong people get the message. The guy who's already pulling his D's in, he's serving, he's desiring, and you're sitting there going, I got to do more, I got to do more, I got to do more. Probably not. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Just make sure your boast is in the Lord and not who you are and what you're doing. I'm not asking for the people who are already up to here serving like crazy to take on another thing. This message for you is one about just don't lose sight of the message. Don't lose sight. We preach Christ crucified and we give the glory to God. That's the message for you. But there are lots of people in the room who sometimes we call them consumers. There's no really there's no such thing as a consumer Christian. We're called to serve. And so where are you serving? And if you're not, why not? And so you might say, somebody comes up to you afterwards and says, hey, where are you serving? Are you going to serve? And here's what you'd be, you might want to say. You might want to say, um, you know what? I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray about it. I'm telling you right now, you don't need to pray about serving. You don't need to pray. I'm going to pray about it as code for, let me just get out of the building. That's what it's code for. You don't have to pray about things that God tells you to do. If it's in God, what are you going to do? Go, Lord, if, if you want me to obey you, I guess maybe I should. 
God wants you to obey. You don't need to spend hours and hours praying about should I do something God's word tells me to do. You need to decide I'm going to do. I'm going to find whatever it is in the next week or two weeks and I'm going to do it. And then you pray like crazy that God will use you in it and help you in it. But you don't need to pray and ask God, should I be obedient to what you say? That's just a waste of prayer. We were um, talking about in the green room between the services about a message. I might do it one day. I don't have 10 things yet about 10 things you don't need to pray about. This is one of them for sure. You don't need to pray about obedience to God. If the Lord's put something on your heart, you need to respond to it. In your bulletin, there's a sheet, and on the back side of the sheet, there's a list of all the ministries with, with uh, email addresses. You could say, hey, I was challenged by the word. I think I should take a shot at working in Harvest Kids, or I should take a shot at working in a men's ministry or women's ministry, or, or when Daniel gets back next week, hey, I think I should be a greeter. I should be out there in the parking lot trying to create something so it's not a disaster after the 11 o'clock service. I can, there's all kinds of things. Every church has people. Every church has needs. Where do you fit in? There's no such thing as a consumer. Christian. What's God calling us to? How will we serve? What's your excuse for not living out in action? We preach Christ crucified. He did it for you. How will you live out for him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're an extraordinary God. And you're so patient. You're so patient with me. You're so patient with our church. And and that just proves how awesome you are, how amazing you are. But Lord, you desire to use ordinary people. And Lord, we have great needs. We have needs in our church. Those needs aren't that much greater than they were a month ago or six months ago. This message comes out of, of a need that we have. And God, what are you doing in our lives? That we wouldn't be people who just come and warm a seat on Sunday and write a check occasionally, but we would be faithful people who serve you because you loved us. You served us in sending your son, Jesus Christ. How will we give back to you for your glory in your fame and serving you? Lord, we are saved for service. So the person who's challenged in that today, if sin is keeping them from serving, Lord, Give them the courage, the boldness to get before you on their face and get it right and then step up and find the place they can serve. If we think too highly of ourselves and humble us, God, that we would do anything. Jesus got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet and somehow we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. John the Baptist says, Jesus Christ must increase. I must decrease. Give us hearts to serve Jesus Christ, our Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, for the glory of for the glory that's found in our salvation, the working that you've done in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.